This is Ron Garney, and you're listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans. Welcome to episode 139 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I am your host, Rick Verbonis, and as always, I am joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there. That is Mr. Bob Lucius. Oh, Bob. Hello. Hola. Bonjour. Hello. Ciao. Konnichiwa. Privet. Ni hao. Shalom. Namaste. Is this a, are we doing, is, was this a commercial for Rosetta Stone? the uh, full subscription uh, no, but, uh, hey, uh, <laughs> no um and actually it might actually be a flashback to i think i did a whole bunch of different languages uh when i did a greeting i just for, i just i'm just now remembering that i did that when we had ralph warner on the show on episode right. 69 way yeah. all the way back then and uh, we did the uh, international comics, foreign Captain America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I now that I think about it, I did do that, but I did that for I did it for a different reason today, Bob, because I just gave you ten different hellos in uh, different languages. Mm-hmm. If I had done a another fifty different languages and I kept it all within a minute. I would have been in the Guinness Book of World Records. Wow. But I didn't, Bob. What a missed opportunity. I know. Uh, yeah, so back uh, back in 2016, a, a a fellow by the name of Ziad Yousef Faza. Oh, yeah. Le- yeah, Ziad. Yeah, yeah, from, from Lebanon. Um, he said hello in 59 different languages in one minute. Which uh, put him into, uh, you know, he made a world record. Wow! And but, um, yeah, I I didn't quite match that. But yeah, but you may be asking, why am I doing my hellos in a world record trying fashion? Well, that's because today we are very excited to have on the podcast, uh, Mr. Scott Koblish. He is uh, not only an artist extraordinaire who has been around for 30 years now um, and has done hundreds of of uh, stories, thousands of pages as either an inker or a penciler. But he has actually made it into the Guinness Book of World Records for one of his uh, covers for, for he did for Deadpool. And he's got another cover that just came out uh, for Fantastic Four 700. So we want to talk to him about that. And of course, he's done a lot of Captain America stuff too. And and, and you know us, we're going to get to the bottom of all his cap work. Indeed, indeed. That's uh, that's really interesting. I've always wanted to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. Maybe something to do with pie or something. Yeah? You know? That's, what kind of pie, Bob? You know, I like a berry pie, Rick. Uh, and I'm not particular. What kind of berry? Blueberry, raspberry, boysenberry, you know? I like I just like a good berry pie. Strawberry? I could go with a strawberry rhubarb pie. Yeah. Could do that. Yeah. I could do that. How come they don't make strawberry pies? Well, I don't know. I guess 
Strawberry is a popular fruit, it is, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question, Rick. It's really, I don't These have These are the, the kind of hard hitting questions, Bob, <laughs> that you can expect <laughs> on the Captain America comic book fans <laughs> podcast. Right. Indeed. You know, if you want to ask that question, I recommend that you go to a Marie Callender's restaurant or, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, Caro's or someplace like that. That I'm really, you know, are pie experts. Okay, I'll pretend I understood that. <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of, of asking questions, Bob, um, one of the perks of being a patron of the show is that our patrons get to not only know who our guests are going to be way in advance of everybody else, but they get to submit a question to our guests. And so as everyone who listens to the show regularly knows, we have a new guest on the show the first Wednesday of every month and uh, our patrons get to submit their questions. So uh, we are going to be talking with Scott Koblish and I do believe we have several questions from our patrons and some good ones too. That yeah, I took uh, a sneak peek. There, there's some good questions in there. Yeah. And some not so good. We'll, we'll uh, let them figure out which ones are which. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. And, and, and listen, if you, if you want to be a patron of the show and, and, you know, sure there's perks, you get to ask questions, you get, you get this really cool captain. What would cap do challenge coin? Um, and some other things you, you know, you, you don't have to wait for submissions on the Facebook page, uh, entered automatically into our contest, all kinds of cool stuff. You know, you can put mean? it on your, you know, it comes with an icon you can put on your Bumble or Tinder page. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, what are you really doing? You are helping support the show so that we can, uh, pay our bills and, uh, have some cool things to, to give away. And so, one of the things I, I know I mentioned in the last podcast, Bob, is that if we get uh, the next three people to go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review, uh, we are going to give away the Captain America number one Taco Bell exclusive edition. Oh, it is an exclusive collector's edition. Right? It really is. Yeah. It, you know what? Um, there were a bunch made, but... Not too many saved. I mean, they all want these little, you know, the kitties got them in their, their, you know, little their greasy fingers all over them. Yeah. 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 So hot you, sauce. So you're not going to find this comic just anywhere. No. Right. So, nope. but you now we, we get three people to give us a five-star review. And one of those three people is going to get this mailed out to them. Mm -hmm. That's and a I pretty good, pretty after good chance. After listening to tonight's show. I guarantee they're going to be like, oh, my God, I want that book. Yeah. And if you want to learn more information about how you can become a patron, go to CaptainAmericaComicBookFans.com. And uh, at the bottom of the page, there is some information on how you can become a patron and, and the cool perks you get along uh, with that. Also, if you are new to the show and you're like, oh, I'm really interested in, in hearing uh, the various guests that you've had on the show. Go to CaptainAmericaComicBookFans.com slash category slash interview. And then that one will it'll pop up and that'll be, you know, just the dozens of interviews um, that we've had uh, over the last two, two to three years, I guess, two and a half years, something like that. 
Yeah. And there's some goodies in there, Rick. Um, you know, and sometimes, I mean, we've been doing this for a while now. It's uh, unless you look at that list and you're like, oh my God, there's some, there's some heavy hitters in there. I know it's interesting uh, because we're talking to Scott Kobush today. He's the anchor, but we've talked to uh, the, the penciler, Ron Garney on the show. Uh, we've talked to the writer, Mark Wade on the show. We've talked to um, the editor, uh, Tom Brevoort. Right. So, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, now we finally got, uh, we finally got Scott. So, you know what? My bucket okay. list is full now. Right. We just, we got to get the letterer. We got to get uh, Karamanga. Get Karamanga. Right. We got to yeah. get, cause he is the letterer yeah. and has been for many, many years, but he actually did actually end up writing the, yeah. the Taco Bell special. Yeah. But dude, we do, we need to get Karamanga on the show. Yeah. I think it'd be fun to talk to. Yeah. We've had, we've had editors, we've had artists, we've had, pencilers we have inkers we've had colorists we've had writers but we have yet to have a letterer yeah i think joe caramago should be our first i think he should be too yeah. legendary totally all right bob we have anything else we we want to get to before we get to uh to, to scott yeah i think so rick i really liked your idea about our next top 10 show but i think we should wait uh until after the interview to share it with our listeners Oh, that's that's what they call in the business, Bob, a tease. Oh, the business. Oh, and, and a tease. You make <laughs> it sound so intriguing. <laughs> what business uh, are we talking about? Uh, none your business. <laughs> All right. Oh yeah, that business. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know that one. My wife's in it. Oh, we, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what is so funny is uh. uh they used to say, would they say, uh, oh, he's given me the business, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know why that always reminds me of, uh, remember the show, uh, Leave it to Beaver? Right, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, talking about uh, giving the business, I think I have something like Wally would say, you know. It does have a certain Wally-esque right? to it, right? Oh, yeah. Beaver, why are you giving me the business? <laughs> Eddie Haskell's giving him the business. Oh my gosh, that totally reminds me. Um, so if, if for Eddie Haskell, right? He was he was like uh the 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 mischievous kid, mm -hmm. but he was always like super polite to the parents. Right. Right? Yeah. And and here's the thing. I was raised to be respectful to parents and, and to elders and and so on, right? And so when I used to go over to my best friend's house. And I would go over and I would say something like, uh, you know, oh, hi, uh, Mrs. Samus. It's, uh, it's, you know, you, you're looking you, lovely. Yeah. I would compliment <laughs> her. Right. I would say like, oh, you were the Eddie Haskell of your generation. Is that Here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. I was the Eddie Haskell without being the jerk Eddie Haskell. Like uh -huh. I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't bad. I didn't do anything mischievous. I, I was just being polite. Well, then you were and, more like Wally. Yeah. But here's the thing. My friend Jeff told me one day, he goes, my mom doesn't trust you. She calls oh. you like an Eddie Haskell. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, but, but I was so offended. I was like, but why? I'm like, I'm sincere. I'm just being. Yeah. Uh, you got to, you know, like throwing a curveball every now and again, just to, you know, just to make them think that like, okay, you're, you're not hiding something. You, you've got some rough edges. Yeah. Otherwise they think you're hiding something. That's true. That's yeah. true. Good advice. Uh, I gotta remember to tell my son that one. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Still some silverware. Uh, <laughs> the other thing too about uh, did you used to watch Leave It to Beaver? Yeah, I watched reruns, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a fun show. Uh, I can't remember. It was some some, some comedian was talking about uh, watching an episode. It was just like you know watching it and then and then seeing hearing them and uh, you know talk and then but but totally like taking it out of you know out of context uh-huh. you know where the mom was like you know ward you were a little hard on the beaver last night <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, That's good stuff. I tell you what. Uh, <laughs> all right. Should we get Scott out of the oh, green? Yeah, he's been waiting there long enough. Let's uh, let's bring him on out. All right. Our guest today started his career as an inker in the early 1990s, but has turned his focus to penciling the last 10 years. During that time, he has worked on hundreds of stories and thousands of pages. You may know him as the artist on Deadpool for six years, including setting a Guinness World Record, which we'll get to that later. For Captain America, he inked Ron Garney during the end of Volume 1 and then inked Dale Eaglesham on Volume 3. He also worked on the character American Dream, Shannon Carter, in the miniseries Last Planet Standing, Avengers Next, and her own solo story, American Dream. You may have also seen his penciling inking the series of graphic books titled How to Read Comics the Marvel Way. But he might be most excited to talk about his Captain America Taco Bell comic. Scott, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? It's about time that Taco Bell special has its time in the sun. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, I joke about that because... When I mentioned it, when asking you to come on the show, that's exactly what you said. You you said, quote, it's high time that someone talked to me about that Captain America Taco Bell promotional comic. Now, you did follow it up with an LOL, so I knew you were joking. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, it went out there. I'm sure it sold millions of copies. I, you know, it's one of those those comics that um, when you're working on it, uh, it doesn't seem like it'll make any impact and anybody will even know. But I'm sure that it went out to every single Taco Bell in the nation, which is thousands of stores. So it's, um, uh, you know, all these licensing products are always so strange. I did a lot of licensing stuff in the 90s, too, at Marvel and, uh, you know, Pizza Hut things and stuff for the Universal Marvel restaurant and, you know, Burger King and McDonald's and all these things. And just they pop up every once in a while. There was a there was a uh, oh, there was a Spider-Man serial, which was great because uh, <laughs> they let me I'd sign my name on it uh, underneath um, Sal Buscema's uh, name. And uh, they would initially taken it off, but then they put it back on before it got printed up. So I would walk down the grocery aisle and there's my name, which is pretty that's pretty cool. You know, <laughs> Oh yeah, <That's laughs> so little awesome. things like that. Yeah, I'd, I'd always been open to doing stuff for the licensing department. It it was um it was just a real gas to work on on all sorts of weird things that show up on like SpaghettiO cans and things like that. So, um, well, I, I want to talk to you about that Taco Bell uh, America giveaway, Cap, Cap Captain America giveaway. Oh, excuse me, uh, exclusive collector's edition Captain right. America giveaway. I know it was one of uh, four that Taco Bell distributed in two thousand nine, and you know Marvel has done other ones. They've done them for 
you know, obviously Taco Bell again in 2011, Harley Davidson, Norton Symantec, Campbell Soup, Keels, and others over the years. So do you have any insights? Like how do those, how do those licensing deals get worked out? Um, where, where they produce those comics for giveaways. Yeah. Um, it depends. Well, it, I mean, there's, there's been, I've been there at Marvel for so long that there's been different people involved in different sections of it, but, uh, there was a creative services department in the nineties that was responsible for all that stuff. And then it just bounces around from editor to editor, I think. So like, I remember uh, Tom Brevoort had worked on that stuff back in the late 80s, early 90s. Then it went over to Creative Services. Then it bounced over to, um, I guess it would be whatever editors would contact me about it. I'm trying to think. There, it it sort of it's a it's a section of the the company that I don't know that a lot of editors want to do that sort of thing. You know, Bill Roseman I think was doing uh, some of that stuff for a while. So, so Bob, he, he's not in licensing or marketing. Come on. So yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what he really I wants mean, to know is how did you get the gig? Oh, how did I get the gig? <laughs> oh, oh, like how did Marvel? Yeah, yeah. So how did I get the gig? I was, I'm, I, in the nineties, I was always around. So uh, I started work at Marvel uh, doing art corrections um, as a Ramita Raider, uh, John Ramita's little department there and uh, senior. And um uh, I, I got known as like a pretty good art corrections guy. So anytime they needed an art, you know, something to be art corrected, uh, they would come to me at my desk. But then I went freelance. And then uh, I think the licensing department, the creative services department, they needed something like a, a, like a poster or something or some sort of calendar fixed. And they couldn't get the Raider. The Raiders, the, the new Raiders weren't, up to speed like uh they weren't good enough to fix the whatever the thing was so they they came running to me and then uh, i just started doing stuff for the licensing department from then on and i was always in i i lived in new york in the 90s <clears throat> so um i would just wander in i'd drop off things and then people would load me up with things before i left you know they'd say hey can you do these eight pages of black wolf the rest of <laughs> all the rats of left the sinking ship so you know or, or uh just some some licensing thing you know i'd drop off things and people would stop me in the halls or um, you, you've got a lot i mean you you mentioned already a bunch but you also did a couple of the avengers comics for the army and air force exchange service i did uh yeah, you sure. you did a, a free comic book day comic for iron man you you had a target giveaway that had cap and the avengers in it i mean you yeah yeah you were the you were that guy I was that guy. I um, well, I, I I very rarely said no to anything, and uh, I would just work uh, you know a hundred hours a week. So basically, that was that was my mo. Is I just was like the hardest working guy around, and then I just wouldn't say no to things. I hmm. the only thing I did say no to there was a Steve Ditko um, book that he was working on. That was a uh, it was Power Rangers. And um, I don't know if you know too much about Steve Ditko. He's an objectivist kind of fellow. So like um, his uh, his his perspective on doing artwork was sort of based on uh, contracts between people. And, you know, he, he, he had a certain amount of work that he was willing to do on certain things. And uh, I remember they showed me the pages 
and the pages were pretty much uh I would have had to do like the majority of the work, like 90% mm -hmm. of the work on that thing. And uh, I chose my own objectivist uh, decision, which was I'd, I didn't really want to do his work <laughs> <laughs> for him <clears throat> for like an extra $25 a page. So, but um, I kind of wish I had done, you know, at least a few. You could pages say you did. Time. You could say you worked on Steve Ditko, yeah. Yeah, so I, 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 I passed that one up, but, but that was my own choice. But very rarely did I say no to anything, and, uh, and I always made the time for everything. And uh, at the time, I was single, or I was living um, just in New York, and. And uh, yeah, I would just, you know, I would get done around four or five in the morning or, you know, maybe 11 in the morning and then drop things off and then load up with a whole bunch of more things and then skedaddle out. And um, uh, it was fun. I, I, I had a great time. Like, uh, you know, Marvel was kind of my second home, especially through the 90s. And all the people there that were, they were friends of mine, like our friends still. I just had lunch with uh, one of the guys who used to be at Creative Services um so just today just uh just to have lunch and shoot the breeze but uh yeah they, all the people there were f like family so um you know honestly they were they were my second home they were almost my primary home like when i worked on staff i would get there at nine i'd stop work at six and then i'd sit there and draw things for my portfolio or do background inks or do inking or penciling like uh and all in the office until about 1 a.m. Wow. And then I take the train home and then um, take the train back in and then, you know, start it all over again or walk down to, you know, my apartment or whatever. So it was, I was there a lot. <laughs> so, you know, we, uh, you know, obviously we're joking around, but we were talking last episode where we actually reviewed the, the Taco Bell. Um, no, you did not really. Oh, totally. oh we most certainly last did. Episode. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. You, we we you went know? by panel by panel, Scott. Yeah. No, you didn't. No, you know, totally. But, you know, I voiced is, I voiced the characters, Bob. Inconceivable. I don't yeah. I don't believe you. I'll have to find out. I'll have to wait until this episode shows up. <laughs> but you know, I mean, we joked about it, but you you sort of hit on a point where yeah. I mean, there's something like um, there's a little over three thousand, maybe thirty three hundred Taco Bells in the United States alone. Yeah, and sure. and, and and they all distribute those those giveaways. So, you know, anytime one of those comics lands in someone hand, someone's hands who, who may not be exposed to a character before. Uh, it's an opportunity to reach a new reader, right? Yeah. And so well, they, I mean, they're, they're usually important for, for expanding the genre to, to new readers, I think. So. Well, that's the way I approached, especially that one. I did it in a more cartoony style than I even usually work in. I, I was trying to make it open and happy and enjoyable and i thought that uh it was aimed clearly at like a, a younger readership so i just took that under advisement when i sat down to draw mm -hmm. it you know they they kind of talked to me about what you just said they're trying to get it in out in the hands of like people who aren't normally comic fans in order to try and get them to try something right yeah you know yeah. the direct market can be is is absolutely wonderful but it can be a little intimidating to new 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 readers so like uh yeah once you once you get the bug uh hopefully everyone would um would appreciate it in that sort of manner you know it took yeah. me a while to really you know from my first comics to pick up the second comics you know what i mean so Sure, sure. So anyway, back to the Taco Bell, because, you know, Rick will go on and on. He's got a Zek corner. He's got a Garney corner. But you know what he doesn't have? 
Scott, he doesn't have a Koblish corner. <laughs> but you know who does? This guy. Oh right my God. Here, this oh, you right even here. have a page of it. Oh, oh I most certainly do. I most wow, and I, I will tell you, Scott, this was the first piece of original art that this guy ever bought. Um, no. Because I saw this and I was like, this is like super awesome because it's got Nick Fury, it's got Captain yeah. America, they're busting down a door. Cap looks really pleased with themselves for knocking out all these Hydra agents. Yeah. And, and it was something we talked about last episode is that, you know, as you pointed out, it's it's a little cartoony, but it's it's really, really fun illustration. And there's so much detail. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, I, I had a blast. That page, I haven't seen it in forever. I remember being very happy with that page when it was done. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, especially all the Hydra agents on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And there's so many extras. Like, there's uh, Ultron and Wrecker on some, you know, some video screens, and there's a She-Hulk poster on the wall. Yeah. And so, were those things that, that you added just for fun, or were, did the writer, Joe Caramanga, add those in, or do you even uh, remember? I pretty much would have added all that stuff just for fun. I, I really enjoy like throwing in lots of little things here and there. Um, it's a kind of a, I got to draw. <laughs> there was one time I did an event, a page of Avengers. I, I don't know if I'm even credited in it, but it's a, there's a page of Avengers and it's with that character death cry who was a Shi'ar like teenager. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's uh, upset about something. She was always having some sort of tantrum. She was upset about something. I think she was supposed to be like the Jubilee of the Avengers. But um, she she ran upstairs and I guess the the it's like a half a page. Like, I guess they weren't happy with the storytelling in the thing. So they grabbed me and I, I, I re-penciled it and I, I made it so she was running up the stairs. She was upset. And uh, the dialogue, I knew the dialogue. And it was where she was like, you had never had any alien characters in the Avengers, so you don't trust me. Like, she was really upset. But uh, but I put, like, a whole bunch of posters <laughs> in the background. And of one the of them I put, yeah, I put Star Fox in there. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, so sure. Like, Mantis. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Mantis and Star Fox. And I was just like... I just threw it in there just as a little dig. I don't think they even noticed it, but uh, I just thought it was really funny because I was like, I, I don't, that's not true. <laughs> so I do like, I do like putting little things in the background here and there. Usually I try and make it serve the story and I don't try and like have it so that it's too jarring or, um, you know, I don't put it in the foreground, but I do like to, to throw in little things. I would do that on Deadpool all the time. There's usually just like a ton of little things that I would throw in there. And so, well, all right. So the marketing guy in me wants to know, uh, yeah. in the Taco Bell comic, there was a Taco Bell cup on the bed. Was, was that for fun or is that like product placement? I think I would have put that in there too. Yeah. I don't remember that. I don't think that that was supposed to be. In there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I would have fun with these things. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I did know some of the stuff that they'd always planned, uh, so if like I could I could reinforce it or have it help out like uh, you know um, I would do it you know like um, and I thought you know the thing that I loved about comics was just all the stuff that I would pour over endlessly in between issues like so I'd pick up like Captain America like two forty nine and then I would sit there and I would have to wait a whole month and if I was lucky I'd get two fifty I don't think I even got two fifty like you know like. I think I would get like 252. So in the months mm -hmm. in between, I would just 
pour over the issue that I had. And, um, you know, you spot little things here and there. You look at how the inking is done or how the penciling is done or how the storytelling is done. Or you sort of, uh, you know, you obsess over, well, this is me at least, I would obsess over all the things that were said and all the little subplots and stuff like that. And I would sit and draw my own, you know, resolution to whatever cliffhanger there was, um, you know, just waiting for the issue to come out. Like, so, I mean, for me, that was part of the joy of comics is just the, all these little things that are everywhere in it and amongst it. So when I, when I do comics, I do the same thing. I just try and jam pack them full of stuff. So that, um, and it so comes through in your work. It's fun. Fired up. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally fun. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I have to say like, for instance, um, when I, when I look at some of your Deadpool stuff, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, and he's a fun character, right? I mean, you know, there's the yeah. whole, you know, fourth, fourth wall kind of breakdown and stuff like that. So, you, you know, you, you, your sense of humor kind of comes out, you know, in, in some of those things. Well, and humor's tough to do in comics. Um, but yeah, I would get a script and it would have like two or three jokes on the page. And I, and the thing about humor on, uh, in comics and in writing in general is uh, it's uh, one joke is good. Uh, it might hit or miss. Uh, two jokes are better. They might hit or miss, but if you can jam like five or six jokes in there, then like uh, chances are someone will leave that page having laughed at <laughs> least once. So I felt it was kind of my duty to to um, just jam things in. Like um, there was a Deadpool um, there was a Deadpool story where Deadpool was being roasted. It was sort of like a meta uh, physical kind of like. A, uh, take on uh, he'd just died so like they had a roast and uh, at some point there was like a villain's table like I I'd organized the tables I don't know if it was in the script but I'd organized the table so I had all these villains and I I threw um, I put Hitler in there and uh, <clears throat> he was of course the villain from issue 26 or something like that but he wasn't in the script anywhere and uh and I threw him in and I had him, uh, I had him at the same table as Magneto. <laughs> just <'cause I> <laughs> Sure. And, uh, you know, like I had, um, you know, Magneto kind of cranky about the fact that Hitler was there, but, <laughs> but, uh, I just had them there. And I remember the, the, the original script was that storm was, uh, talking about something about Sabretooth and I had Sabretooth in there, but like, the writers uh, just changed it so that like the actual, the actual dialogue that was coming out of Storm's mouth once it was, once I was done and once they had a shot at it again was uh, why is Hitler here? You know? Uh -huh. And uh, I kind of felt like it was uh, fun because it was them talking directly to me <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to the actual readers, you know, but uh, it was, it was just fun to do that kind of stuff. Like if I throw in something, um, and I picked it up from George Perez, too, because I was working on um, Legion of Three Worlds with him just about the time that I started penciling full time. And um, George would get a plot and we would all get the plot. We would take a look at it. And George would, would send in a page, you know, every other day or every day or whatever it was. And he would have a whole bunch of notes and in the in the email so he would say well i was thinking originally it was this and then i changed it to this and this is why i changed it to this and this is why i did that so i just thought well that's how we do it right so 
<laughs> so I've been, you know, I, I monkey around with scripts when I get them. Um, not in a bad way. I, just, I try to make sure that everything's there, but I'll just add in things, you know, if I can, like, um, you know, it's stuff that trying to makes makes the, the sequences work a little bit better or the or the movement from panel to panel work a little bit better or, uh, you know, I'll add in characters if they're in in town, like I'll try and I'll put background characters or cars or, you know, I try and fill the space with uh, things that people can look at, uh, understand where they are and understand what the stakes are um, so that uh, you can kind of have a, a pretty solid reading experience. But um, I don't know. That's the kind of stuff that I try, like to do. So what, what else? I mean, you mentioned George Perez uh, or, or Perez. Um, you know, you worked with a lot of pencilers over the years have any of them because of working with them influenced you in in how you work today has there anyone that just whether it was an indirect or a direct something that they did or just just by merely working with them and and you inking them and then how does that affect your penciling it has yeah i am um, uh you know i looked at it as a long apprenticeship um you know, uh, when I was inking over a lot of different people, I, I inked over probably it was about 150 or 160 different inker or pencilers uh, in about a 15 year period. And um, uh, I really liked it when there were pencilers who were way better than I was a penciler or a storyteller that I could learn something from it. Um, George was really interesting because he approached a page, uh, I think differently than most people do. Um, he would break it down into blocks. So normally people uh, break down uh, something that's happening in a page. Um, you can either break it down just for pacing or you can break it down for, um, you know, a composition. But for George, his composition was little blocks. So he would do like, um, let's say he had an explosion happening. He would put a whole bunch of like... Um, uh, inset panels all up and down and around in order to show the reactions or what was happening to the people simultaneously as the action that was happening in the explosion or in one part of the story. So um, it's something that, that he would do where it sort of stretched things out. You know, there was a TV show called 24 that at yeah. the end of every uh, sequence, uh, they would have a little ticking clock and then they would show what essentially were comic book panels uh, but it, it was be it would be like this is happening here and this is happening here and this is happening here and this is all supposed to be with the ticking clock you know that it's all happening at the same time and um, that was George uh, in his um, in his design uh, you know he would oftentimes have especially in battle scenes there would be you know one person would be saving somebody over here and one person would be fighting somebody else over here and it's all happening concurrently. Um, and that's a very rare thing. Most people don't really do that in stories. Um, uh, I, I picked up a lot from Ron Garney, uh, interestingly enough, I, that I keep noticing in my penciling. Um, Ron has a very, uh, <clears throat> well, it's a very expressive way of drawing when he's under time pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've noticed that uh, it would get more energetic and bigger and blockier um, as he went on um, during the run that uh, we were working on. And I really enjoyed a lot of that um, sort of really like 
you know, it's, it's hard to, I, I would use the word like a powerful line, like you would have a big thick line next to uh, something that you wouldn't normally associate with, um, with a big thick line. And I, I was just doing something similar. You, you would use the side of his pencil. Um, there aren't a lot of guys who use the side of the pencil. John Romita Jr. does it a lot, but um, I was doing it just a little bit ago on some story that I'm working on. And because um, I had a, a character that had a shield and and I, I thought if I just did a couple like uh, quick, fast, uh, heavy lines uh, on it to give it some sort of like a emotional heft uh, or some sort of speed heft or I don't know, heft in general. And and I just threw it in there and I was like, oh, that's something like Ron would do. Like things pop up like that all the time for me. I, I There are artists, of course, that I was working over where I, I, I would see what they did and I didn't have... Um, respect isn't the right word but i would sit there and i would go well i don't want to do that you know so sometimes you're defined by the things you don't do as much as you're defined by the things that you do do um and there's people that i really i really love their work inking over them especially towards the end i was thinking over giffen and, and uh george and um those were the guys that really it was super easy to ink over those guys because i knew what they needed uh automatically in my head um and uh, and could give it to them on the page um guys that were starting out that, that's always a little more difficult you don't know exactly mm -hmm. where they're coming from you can usually see like their their um their heroes through the work you know like you could tell if somebody really liked um uh, alan davis or uh joe matarero or you know to, <laughs> you could you can mm -hmm. usually spot some things just in the structure of the face or the the pacing of the page uh and that's a little tougher to ink over because then then like if i'm inking over a guy that like has a whole bunch of like uh he'll have an alan davis riff on one page and then a i don't know some some other riff of some other artist on another page that's that's a little tough because then then i in my head i ink it as if it would be the better alan davis page so yeah like a paul Newman, right yeah and then it becomes like a little it becomes a little disjointed as a result because I'm not pulling it together, you know, whereas I think another anchor that wouldn't be so, so observant with all those things might be able to pull some, all this stuff together with their own single style. I, I had a difficult time that throughout most of my career. Well, it was an, it was an advantage in one, one side and a disadvantage in another that I was very versatile. So like I, I would just, I would do different things with different artists. Um, so, and then you click differently with different people too. So there was one time I'd inked over Stuart Eminem for like an extended period, like a year, maybe a little longer. And he had had a really, uh, something that I just attacked with a big brush and and really big bulky black areas and and wide open white areas. And uh, and I just really, I, I hammered home like, uh, you know, some dry brush stuff and some big, big splotches. And then I had to ink over, um, uh oh who was it maybe oh it was a tom grummet issue it was a tom grummet issue and i was still in that mindset and i inked tom as if it was that and that was a big mistake because it doesn't it didn't work you know it didn't work with that he didn't need those huge lines he needed some like uh thinner um uh more expressive lines you know i so i don't know that that kind of stuff would bite me in the butt every once in a while but uh but as i've and further and further away people i've 
I think I've gotten a little bit better at uh, attacking my own style and figuring out what to do with it. So if well, that makes sense. It does. It does. It's always fascinating to talk with artists and who have, especially inkers, I, I will say, because we've, we've had pencilers, we have inkers on here. And um, I think inkers, to your point, like a, a penciler can come up with their own style. And and they and they they have that and that's kind of what they they stick with. Whereas I think an inker, uh, especially a finisher, has to, you know, complement uh, in many ways. Like when we had uh, you know Joe Rubenstein on on, he would talk about how you know he wanted to make sure that if when he was on John Byrne versus uh, Frank Miller, you know, it, you have to. To, to what you were saying, you, you had to compliment them. Right. And you had to, you know, make sure that you give them what they needed, as you said. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, there's an interview from Terry Austin that I read very young. Um, it was one of those Peter Sanderson interviews with, um, with the X-Men people, those X-Men compendiums. And, and there was an, there was a line in there from Terry that stuck with me where he was, he would give the penciler what they need, not necessarily what they want. And um, that, that was always my approach um to anybody that i was inking over um and and of course your own skills are you know getting in the way of what you want <laughs> to deliver but um but i got pretty good at, at figuring out what to do i don't necessarily have a tremendous amount of patience like um uh like enough to ink a guy like uh art adams or something like that oh I, yeah um, but you know, with george, george perez is very detailed i mean art adams yeah, perez are both george very was, very detailed. funny because uh yeah it, it was everything he would do if he had like three lines i would give him 10 like i kind of knew what it was that he was be looking for because i was such a big fan of his work and the there there was a series of teen titans uh that he started inking over himself and those, I remember looking at them and thinking, oh, okay, that's what he wants. That's what he needs. And then like 20 years later, I was able to do that for him. But um, uh, yeah, for George, you know, all that detail, it was just, it never bothered me at all. I'd, I'd plow through a page or two a day. Like, you know, I'd get a page in the, in the morning or a couple pages in the morning and I'd get them done over the next 15 hours or whatever. Time would just kind of fly past and you know, I would always fill in things. There was a, in the Legion of Three Worlds stuff, I was, I, I loved interlac. <laughs> so I would just throw in a lot of like interlac in the backgrounds. Um, Can you tell, you know, tell the listeners what that means? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, in the Legion of Superheroes, it's set in the, the 30th century or probably 31st century at this point. But um, it's set in the future about a thousand years from now. So the language is, um, the written language is a little bit different. Um, Keith Giffen kind of came up with it, I think. And um, he was he would do it just to sort of uh, make little jokes in the background. Um, uh, but at some point they codified it and set it up so that it was an actual written language um, that had a, a written, um, you know, a, 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 an alphabet, you know. So I would just, I would put the things in the background, like um, there's a, there's a Legion of Three Worlds, uh, like a big, big spread, where um, the Legion is fighting the 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 uh, the villains. Uh, like I guess they're I forget what they're called, but all the big villains. So they're just fighting them, and it's in a like a Times Square set in the future. So I put in like all these different names of all the 
previous creators on the book. So like uh, George Hamilton and Kurt Swan and, but I put them all in Interlac and the, the stock market was having trouble. So at the time, so I put in like, um, like a stock market ticker and I put in like things like, um, you know, Bismol was having a terrible like uh, day in the stock market. So you Down. did this in that, that language Interlac. Yeah. I would write it all in that language. Yeah. As, you know, oh, that's and, cool. Yeah, I thought it was really fun, you know, like, but I would spend just hours and hours just uh, amusing myself trying to trying to add little things here and there. You know, if if the if the floor was sort of delineated, like, I just put a few more things on the floor, you know what I mean, to fix things up. Or rubble too. rubble was super fun. Because the thing with George is that, like, that's separate from other artists, his foundation was always stable. So uh, it didn't matter how much detail you put in there. The foundation was always perfect. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you can put, I call them the, the sweater artists. There's a couple guys where like, and I won't name any names, but uh, there's a couple no, guys. You can where totally you do that at, here. That's okay. Um, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> where you would look at the panel and uh, uh, let's say like the eyes, like it's a close up of a face. Let's say the eyes wouldn't match up on the plane that they were supposed to be on, but they would look good in the composition. So like in the side of the panel, you would have like, like a narrow kind of thing, you know, and be off to the side. And this eye would be like too high up. And then if you changed it though, it changed the composition of the panel. So it's like pulling a thread on a sweater. You're gonna ruin the sweater if you pull on it too much. So sometimes uh, you, you were just better off leaving things alone because the composition looked nice. That's really what the artist was kind of um, mm -hmm. intentionally or unintentionally focusing on. That happened with Kirby a lot too. You would look at Kirby's stuff and the, the design work was uh, really what balances out the panel oftentimes. So there's guys that like, you know, it, it may not be realistic to have that huge black line on a Kirby arm um, but it's there for to indicate force or movement or 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 to balance out like a soft uh, you know rounded line somewhere else in the in the arm. So um, uh, uh, it's it's good to know those sorts of things as I move along doing my own artwork. You know, um, I've noticed uh, recently that I've, there's a whole bunch of things that are like the faces will be like a little bit up up until the eyes have been up up a little bit into the right so i've been turning the page upside down before i ink it just to fix any of those things you know i don't know what's happening in that situation but i don't know that's cool <laughs> that you you uh you fix it by turning it upside down it's interesting yeah you fix it turning upside down or or turning it uh you know uh or even changing your position at the desk sometimes that changes things like uh if you have the if you don't have the page like um, at a 90 degree angle to you, um, you're going to uh, make the legs a little bit too long. Do you know what I mean? Because there's a perspective thing that's going on, like the, the thing that's too far away from you, you're going to draw a little bit bigger just mm -hmm. to make it seem like it's uh, the right size. But um, but you can get tricked into doing that unless your 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 desk is at an angle um, or whatever you're drawing, your drawing surface is at an angle. So. Um, yeah, there's little, but there's little tricks like that. You turn it upside down, you turn it backwards, you turn it sideways, you know, just to take, just to double check yourself. You're the only editor really. <laughs> All right. Art. So, uh, you know, yeah. we, we are required by law to, to talk about Captain America every once yes. in a while. So, right. uh, uh, 
so getting back to your Taco Bell comic, um, I, 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 yeah, I, we are, I, yeah, yeah, we are. We got, <laughs> we got to do this. So, uh, up until this point, when this comic came out, up until this point, we had not seen Steve Rogers in the in the Marvel Universe six one six because he'd been dead for three years. Oh, and, and while this was Earth thirty five eighty eight, according to what I read, the the book you worked on. It was fun seeing Steve Rogers as Cap again, and yeah. and and so, it, I don't know if did you get a little thrill being the one who brought Steve back before Ed Brubaker did because the Reborn miniseries didn't happen until a few months later. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, I I yeah I love it. I mean, I I some of these some of these characters live a little bit outside of time for me. So like whatever's happening in their books, um, if I'm doing some sort of license thing, like. I just try and put in the essence of whatever I think is there in order to, to give it to, because the thing, you know, no matter what they do to Captain America within a few years, it's kind of reset a little bit. There's always, there's always some sort of thing that happens that, um, that takes them off, off the field a little bit or moves them down the line. Like, uh, you know, Captain America's, uh, you know, like a hundred years old, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. or he's, um, you know, uh, he's uh, he's nomad, or you know what I mean. Like, uh, so, but there's always an essence to the character that you want to try and get across. And in a project like that, it's it's really important to try and say, like, this is Steve Rogers. This is what he looks like. This is how he behaves. Um, you know, I always felt that uh, a great thing about Captain America was that he had such integrity and honor and dignity and a, a sense of self-worth didn't really put other people down. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I would key into it. So when I'm drawing him standing around, like talking to Nick Fury, he's, he's upright. He's, he's, um, he's well aware of his position and, and uh, his place in the room. You know what I mean? Like uh, he's pretty well grounded, but he's never going to be, um, uh, sort of sneakily doing something that's underhanded. Do you know sure. what I mean? Or, yeah, or he's not going to be slumping or or slouching or um, you know. I I just I I feel like the guy has a real presence um, or should have a real presence in the room every single time, and that people would defer to him, especially um, younger characters like uh, New Warriors or things like that. You. Or, you know, even the Avengers, the guy is literally has to stand above everybody else, even though he's he doesn't have the power set to be able to stand toe to toe in a physical way with some of the people like the Hulk or Giant Man or something like that. But he's got to lead by example and he's got to lead by um, by a sense of dignity and a sense of uh, honor and compassion that uh, will make people sort of stand up and be their own best selves around him. So. You can have a character like a Nick Fury that has a job to do, but he respects Captain America's perspective on him. Uh, uh, you know, where whereas like Nick would just do the thing that he needs to do, no matter what the consequences. Cap isn't willing to do things like that normally, so it creates but, a great sense of story and a great sense of character and purpose. That I, I whenever I'm drawing him, I try and give that illusion to. You know. Well, now I listen. You're talking to two people here 
who 100% agree with you as far as uh, you know the the way to approach Steve and his his moral center. Um, so you mentioned drawing him, and there's a certain way you draw him. Bob and I have a debate, and we have a we have a debate on something. I was curious where you stand. Right. Which which arm does Cap normally hold his shield? I always have it on the left. Okay, is this just <laughs> simply? known or or did does like editorial request that like like why do people draw him with, with in the shield typically in his left left hand that's a great question i remember one of the first captain americas i ever picked up um he's lecturing this uh shield agent who's torqued off at him and he he, he punches at uh captain america and cap's got the shield like just in in that position because it's on his left side, and he he, lec he lectures the the shield agent for never leading never lead with your left, you know. And I, I thought that that was a weird thing to say, especially now my wife does boxing and things like. I don't think that that's a hard and fast rule, <laughs> and I'm I'm uncertain as to whether the writer would have ever you know known anything about that either but uh i i remember it being a a thing that cap kind of does like that he's a righty and that uh the shield operates kind of as like um uh you know uh some, something that he would use on his left hand um oftentimes and this is this is early on like captain america if he had a gun he doesn't obviously have a gun very often but uh, he would be he, most most guns are made for shooting in the right hand, um, so you know he would need to have his left hand with his shield. But that's my perspective on it. I just assume that it was just something to do with uh, uh, how he would have approached uh, uh, shooting a gun in World War II, and how he would have approached uh, you know um, fighting people uh, with your right hand or your left hand. I just assumed that Steve Wright, a couple people that. I, I know I in my head I I have them as lefties when I'm drawing them, but um in cap cap in my head as a righty. So continuing on the whole Captain America theme. So you you inked Dave Hoover uh in Captain yeah. America 439 back in, in May 1995. And then then you joined Mark Wade and Ron Garney as the new creative team after Mark Grunewald's 10-year run. And so you you were on that first issue, 445 when it launched, and then you came back and you were on uh, 449 through 454, which was the last issue. Yeah. What was that like being part of that amazing run post Grunewald, number one? And then what was it like to find out the series being canceled and you were being replaced with the Heroes Reborn relaunch? Yeah. Well, that was a really interesting period for me. Um, like you had mentioned, I'd done some inking over Dave Hoover, uh, rest in peace. Dave's way but um i had inked over dave and uh, it was during a weird period of captain america he was in an armor i think it was like iron cap or mm -hmm. in a suit of armor at the time and um i'd done some inking over cap in the avengers books too so i think angel medina had done i don't, I don't know if he designed the armor or, or if he just did a really good job on it but um it was a weird period of time for captain america and i kind of knew it i I wasn't, um, uh, I think a lot of people were, were a little cranky about the book at the time. And Mark had done some wonderful things on the book, don't get me wrong. That period of time after Cap Wolf and things like that were 
things were um it was time to have some new blood so when uh when ron came on uh i didn't do the first issue um uh, i think i forget who the inker was maybe mark pennington or or i forget who the inker was but um the first issue uh uh ron ron had just gotten done with being inked by tom palmer for about i want to say two or three years and i think he really wanted to see what he could do on his work um so there was that one inker they didn't get along then they then ralph macchio came up i think to it was me that said, dennis rodier was that no dennis? dennis was after me so i just i can't remember exactly who it was uh that inked the first uh issue of that that particular run but uh, it didn't work out for whatever reason. And because um, I think that what happened was is uh, Ron had been inked so for so long by a guy like uh, Tom Palmer that people kind of expected that uh, that's what he wanted to draw like. But I don't think that he wanted to draw like that at all. So like when I got the pages, I the first thing I did was I did like a really, really, really hyper detailed uh, work over him. Um, like hyper detailed, like if there was a black space that he filled in just roughly, I would put in like 4,000 lines. And uh, I was kind of happy with it. I, I remember taking um, some of it. Um, I was uh, I was moving at the time when I was working on Captain America. So I was moving into the city and I remember working on all that stuff at the time. And I, you know, I, was, I went, where I was working on pages there's a there's a shot where Sharon Carter first appears mm -hmm. and I did that at the wedding like an hour or two before and and um uh but I I did a ton of lines just a ton of lines and then I forget yeah I think he wanted to try Mike Hatchlin or maybe um it was Mike Manley was on Mike Manley that's issue. it so, yeah yeah Mike Manley did an issue Mike Manley was a uh, uh, artist himself, like just great stuff. So um, I don't know how that one, uh, popped up. And then he had Dennis Rodier do a, a couple issues. And, um, and then I remember walking through the office. I didn't take it personally when I, you know, the first time that you wanted, you clearly wanted to try a whole bunch of different people. So um, they came to me a second time for that issue for two, what is it? 449. 449 thank you so they came back to me for that and uh they were like hey we'd like to have you as the anchor on the rest of the run and i was like that'd be great um and i'd given it some thought so i started to do something different with um with my inks and the approach to it um and i think i got a little bit better i i really knew what i wanted to do over ron's work by uh 454 but of course we were gone by then that was like the last issue but I, I really feel like that last issue, I nailed it. And I was like, now I know what I have to do. Now I know what should be happening. <laughs> but then we had that long interregnum. So, yeah, I was, I was caught off guard by the by the book being canceled. Um, I was happy to get it back and then excited to work on it. And then I forget when along the line... I found out that the book had been canceled and was going to be given over to Image and to Rob's uh, people and Rob himself. But I, I remember being a little stunned and a little cranky. And <laughs> uh, 
and I, 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 I didn't comport myself well, you know what I mean? Like I should have, I should have taken it with a little bit less, uh, less, um, uh, you know, I was cranky, <laughs> but, well, it's, uh, it's I funny. Just knowing that uh, whatever comes around goes around and you'll you'll have a chance at it again or something like that. But I remember thinking like this was because Captain America is just one of my all time favorites. And I was so happy to be working on the book in whatever capacity and um, <clears throat> to have the book like uh, just yanked out <clears throat> just felt kind of um, uh, it felt kind of tough at the time. So but again, these are these are things that uh, the company there's been so many people working on these books for so many years that I guess in the end, it doesn't really matter. But at the time, you know, Marvel had only been around for 30 years and, you know, <clears throat> Mark Grunwald had written or edited most of, I don't know, probably like half of the books, you know, and then, um, you know, Kirby had done the same and Stan and Roy Thomas. So there was uh, only a handful of people that had worked on the book at that time. And I felt like, uh, you know, it was like, I was really excited to be on the book in whatever capacity I could be on the book. And um, it just sucked. I remember, I remember handing in the last couple pages and um, uh, just being kind of depressed about the loss of the book, you know? So anyway, it wasn't the greatest time um, uh, for that sort of stuff. But, uh, and then I think I did, I wrote on like one page, like some, mean little thing to rob i mean i've never i've never really i i should say that rob did an amazing job on the book um because we we get about forty thousand. you know the entire run that i was on we were there for a year and we just couldn't move the needle in sales you know and it just you know we had the red skull in there you have uh, there was a the great, um, you know, man without a country kind of stuff. I just mm -hmm. just didn't seem to really move the needle any on the sales. And, um, you know, I have to give Rob credit because the, when he comes along, he takes the sales from like 40,000 to, I don't know, what was it, like 900,000 or something like that, or or half a million. or you know, it, it just bounced up the, the amount of people reading the book by like a tremendous amount. So, and that that perspective, you can't really fault the guy for, and you can't really fault the company for deciding to do something like that. But right. it was so early in my career, it did hurt. And, uh, you know, as I've been around now 30 years, these kind of things hurt a little bit less each time out, you know, but um, uh, especially at that age, I was in my early twenties and I was really excited about working on Captain America and uh, uh, really felt like I was, uh, you know, putting some good work in and, um, but again, sales, you just don't know what's going to happen with sales. So right. that's always your, that's always the thing to sort of watch it back on. <laughs> so, so, so Bob mentioned his piece of original art you created yeah. and, uh, but now I, I have to mention mine. Um, yeah. So there it is. Wow. Yeah. yeah. there. Yeah. That's the, that's the one that I wrote a little like a uh, snarky comment on. <laughs> Think. Uh, yeah you 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 wrote uh eat your heart out rob yeah because it was a great page like it, great it's an amazing that. page it's a double yeah, page really splash is. and for the listeners at home uh it is the uh double page splash of captain america in in the jungle going up against an army uh you know just incredible odds uh and ron 
drew him uh, very brazen. Uh, and when we had uh, Ron on the show, he talked about, he actually said this is one of his favorite pieces he ever drew. Um, and so I, I'm just thrilled to have it. It's a double page. Oh, you know, I have it framed on my wall in the Ron Garney corner, but yeah, you, you wrote at the bottom, uh, you know, eat your heart out, Rob, which I thought was just kind of like a gentle poke. You know, I, I didn't think it was being crass or mean or anything like that. I, I, I took it as you had pride in your work and you were obviously upset to be leaving and, you know, Hey Rob, you know, beat this kind of thing. You know, I, I, yeah, I that was, it was playful. Yeah, that was, that was the, but it, it reads differently when it's just in text as opposed to, but you had the right idea. That was, that was my general, it was like four in the morning when I finished that thing. And um, I was a little intemperate. I shouldn't have written it, but, uh, but I, I, I that page, uh, that spread especially was one of my favorite things to ever ink. I, I just thought Ron did an incredible job on it. Like uh, you're right about the, the, the great thing about that particular one is that Cap's face is almost uh, completely hidden. It's uh, yes. mostly in shadow. So um, you've got this, uh, this element of the character almost being iconic, like mm -hmm. an icon as opposed to a human being. Um, and Ron just really nailed it. And of course the dialogue on that one is, um, uh, Mark Wade had put it in there where it was like, uh, you know, you take the people to safety. I'm going to go fight this army. You know? mm -hmm. And yeah. that, that was really, it was just a wonderful thing. Like, uh, I really, I, I really felt that we peaked as, as best we could. And, um, uh, you know, handed it off and there was a little bit of like, uh, take that and uh you know let's uh let's see you beat that kind of thing um which you you want to have a friendly rivalry if you can mm -hmm. yeah and have so, you ever have you ever spoken with rob you know i was at a uh i was at a convention where he his booth was next to mine um but he wasn't there very frequently and uh i'm not sure that he knew who he was who i was at the time um this is after i'd worked on deadpool or maybe i was still working on deadpool and um, uh, uh, I mostly talked to his assistant, who was, seemed like a very nice fellow and uh, had nothing but good things to say about Rob. So, um, you know, the, the one time that I, I did get to talk to him briefly seemed a little distracted, but um, lots of people want things from him all the time. So it's, it's difficult at conventions. It's not, uh, unless you're having dinner with somebody, it's, it's a little difficult to, there's lights and, crowds and noise and things and you just give everybody a little bit of uh, leeway to not being their best but um he was respectful and kind and so like i just took it at that um and of course i didn't really mention that i'd worked on the captain america stuff before not a lot of people associate my ink work with my pencil work it's almost like two different groups of people so anyway but the, that that page, I'm glad that it has a good home because uh, that that page I had with me, or that spread that I had with me for decades, I kept it. Oh, did you really? Oh yeah, I kept it the whole time, all the way up till about I want to say 2019. But wow. uh, I had it as from the day that I that I uh, got it back back in 1995 or whenever, all the way through like. Uh, a couple of years ago. So I'm glad, and I would just keep it on the wall. Oh, totally. You know, it's framed. So. It's, it's, it's not going anywhere I'm, and it has found a good home. So I'm, I feel very but fortunate. I'm glad it, it's, it deserves a good home. That's, 
it's a really great um it's a really great spread I, I would put it up there with any kirby captain america stuff and i hold the kirby captain america stuff in the highest regard the zek stuff too so depending on the page but uh, yeah absolutely good i'm glad it has a good home you mentioned earlier that you you got your break, I think, with uh, Romita's Raiders, which was the mm -hmm. Marvel apprenticeship program, the art apprenticeship program that Jim Shooter started in in ninety three. But how did you make the transition from inking to penciling? Was there something that you consider your big break? Yeah, actually. Um, so I I had a lot of difficulty switching from from inking to penciling. Um, I could pencil. Uh, that's really how I got the job at as a Romita Raider. I, I showed John my pencil samples and got the job that way, but I knew how to ink and not, not the other Raiders didn't know how to ink. So it was always a hinged upon me to finish up the work. So um, I got known as a pretty good inker around the office. And then what ends up happening is after a company that you do something well, uh, they are really reluctant to give you up uh, into a different position. Um, I I wound up, uh, I, I couldn't get any traction. I would show my pencils around, um, but they would say, that's great. Uh, can you do this book? I need it to be inked. And I'd go, of course, you know, because I needed to eat, you know. So um, the the real thing that happened was is I, I kind of, I did my own comic and then I started showing that around. I sent it out to a whole bunch of different publishers and one company called platinum studios here in los angeles um they uh wrote back and they were like we love this this is great and i was like will you publish it and they said no but we do have a script here that we would like to have uh penciled and inked and i was like that would be great and so in between the raindrops whenever i was doing um you know i'd be inking over giffen or or perez or uh other other folks i would do um I would pencil out these pages and uh, it was a really crummy rate. It was $10 a page, um, but I got it done. I got all hundred pages done and then uh, and four covers and uh, it got published. And uh, unbeknownst to me, the writer of the book uh, had written it five years prior, but it started writing stuff for Marvel and it started writing for Marvel in the Marvel Adventures department, which was kids, mm -hmm. the kids line that they were trying. And uh, he showed the weapon, this is the book is called The Weapon. And he showed the weapon to the editor there. And the editor was like, uh, and, and Fred Van Lente is the, the writer on it. And Fred said, hey, can I work with this guy here at Marvel? And uh, he was like, sure, why not? I was inking other things. I was inking actually um, uh, American Dream at the same time. And uh, 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 and I, I realized I wasn't gonna be able to pencil uh, and ink like stuff without like dropping something. Uh, so I had to drop, um, I had to drop George Perez for a little bit. And then like, I had to drop, I wanted to drop American Dream, but the editor called me up and, and tore, me a, tore me a new one and was like, you promised you'd finish this. So I was like, all right, I'll finish it. And um, I just worked super late hours, but that's how I got my foot in the door is, is I was able to do, uh, you know, something for some other publisher. And then luckily enough, there was a, there was the writer was there at Marvel. So um, it was kind of a weird way of, um, of getting back in. Cause I'd shown my pencils to everybody I could, 
but it just wasn't generating any response until they saw me as like uh, working for some rival company or I don't even know if they knew that they had me inking a whole bunch of things over and you know sometimes the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing so um yeah that's how I got in I broke into penciling that way and then I did a lot of stuff in the Marvel Adventures department and then um the assistant editor on that became a full editor on Deadpool and uh, asked me to, to, to do work on Deadpool. And I, I turned it down initially. I, I was doing some storyboards and I didn't have time, but um, I'd heard a podcast with the writers on it and they were so great and they were really funny. And I, I wrote back, I said, is it's too late for me to take the project after all? And that's how I, I got on that. Wow. Um, and, so. and you had a, a really nice six year run. On, on yeah, Deadpool. six years is a long time in comics. It really is. Uh, yeah, and then it really is. Yeah. We, we mentioned before that you set a Guinness World Record. So this was for the cover to Deadpool 27, which was back in 2014, where mm-hmm. you had 232 characters on yes. one cover, uh, which set a record. And so how cool was that to make it into the record books? That was fun. I, um, I didn't, uh, I didn't know they were going to try and do that, like send it over to the record. Otherwise I would have put a few more characters in, you know, like I had some, I had some room. I didn't put hit monkey or the punisher in there. So I could have added a few more in, but, uh, I, I didn't know that they would do it. And then, um, uh, and then the record had been beaten at, at some point later on. And then, uh, uh, the, the record holder came up to me at a convention this fall and said, Hey, um, (laughs) he goes, Hey, it's good to meet you. I'm the guy that beat your record. And I was like, Oh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Like I recognize like how hard it is to put all this work into doing something like that. And uh, at the end of the conversation, he said, uh, I said, well, what was the number again that you beat me at? And he was like 313. And I was like, okay, all right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) note to self yeah note to self (laughs) i wrote you know wrote it down in my head in 313 and then my wife and my wife gave me for christmas a um uh the marvel unlimited uh uh app it's uh Mm -hmm. it's uh you can see pretty much marvel has it's like thirty thousand comics or something like that and got me thinking um you know, I, I was, Spider-Man was on like issue 922 or something. So I was like, boy, you know, a thousand would like beat that record. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I, I contacted the Spider-Man editor. I said, hey, how about like we do, you know, uh, I'll do like a thousand characters from the Spider-Man universe. Like, you know, like uh, Dr. Octopus and all the background characters. And because there's got to be a thousand at least this at this point. And um, and the editor was like, well, I don't know. It's not going to be for another couple of years. But uh, on the email chain, Tom Brewer was on there and he was like, well, Fantastic Four 700 is coming up. And I was like, you know, I could totally find 700 characters in that. So um, I just threw my hat in the ring and, and I was like and he's like, well, we're about to solicit it. So you've got about three weeks to do it. Uh, so I was like, all right. So and initially I was going to do it on a wraparound. Yeah, I've done the Deadpool cover, but uh, that was really challenging to get 700 characters in there. So I, I begged for a little more space and I got it, thankfully. Um, that's uh, It's about 711 years. I overshot a little bit um, after paring it down. Um, I went through every single issue of the Fantastic Four. 
took screenshots of anything that I, I kind of like deemed as like uh, uh, something great to be able to use. Like uh, I found about eight different versions of Herbie um, that I, I put in there. And then like, uh, you know, all the different uh, Heralds of Galactus and, and uh, Tom, Tom and I talked about it. We, we felt that the, the Ultimates Universe Fantastic Four would be a little bit too confusing uh, in the way that everything worked. Uh, in the in the layout so we left the ultimate universe stuff out but um everything else is from the book it there's a, a tremendous amount you know the fantastic four is really the the starting point for the marvel universe and um and a lot of stuff appears in it for the first time so like you would have like not only just the things you think of as galactus and dr doom but you know the the um the new warriors made their first appearance in the book um you know you would have i i had a whole bunch of different um, black panther yeah black panther just this lots of things that uh, silver surfer the inhumans that kind of stuff and that was the easy stuff to pick and uh there's only one jim lee character that made it in there i kind of thought that because i include the stuff from from that that period of time the the marvel heroes reborn, reborn. heroes reborn um, period of time and but there's like one herald of galactus that's different her name is plasma so i put her in there um but everybody else was just kind of they looked exactly the same as they normally would like neymar looked pretty much he had a different costume but pretty much the same and uh so yeah i, I went through everything i i started ordering it i put galactus in the center so he's he's uh split in half uh, that's that's the break uh for the the two covers um so he's on one side and on the other half of him is on the other side and and it's 711 characters so wow. i did do the the regular fantastic four characters twice i wanted to have what they originally appeared as and then i wanted to have their current whatever the current costumes are so um i did not know that Reed richards had as many siblings as 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 he does he has a not only does he have like a cyborg brother who's like a cowboy but he's got uh huntara was also his sister and they just came up with a new sister too like so you know you throw in all those characters and it was a really fun cover to do how long did it take you not, okay let's just take the research that you just you just talked about out of it so you have that many characters how long did it take you to pencil it and, and first of all, lay it out, right? Because yeah. that, that had to be very time consuming. Then you penciled it, then you inked it. Did, did, who colored it? Uh, Rochelle uh, Rosenberg uh, did an amazing okay. job. She did. She's a, a fitness weightlifter in the Midwest. Wow. Did you did have to give job. her like some sort of key so that she yes. knew who the characters were and yeah. like, to, to know so, how to color them? I mean, it took me uh, uh, three and a half days to do the initial research. Uh, so I went through all 700 issues of the Fantastic Four, or I guess at that point it was like 697 or whatever it was. And um, <clears throat> I, I, I looked at everything. I, I wanted to make sure that I could as much stuff as I could. I took screenshots of, of different characters and things. And I built a Google Drive um, uh, that I shared with Rochelle. Um, 
And that was basically the way I, I handled it. I was like, look, there's a lot of characters in here that this is what they look like, you know, and this is um, what they, you know, would normally look like. And this is what they look like in their first appearance. And, you know, I would kind of choose one or the other, like I'd kind of lean on whatever they looked like in their first appearance. But although with the exception of Galactus, because he doesn't really have any pants on in the first like <laughs> two pages or two issues that he's in, but you know, I, I try to, I tried to make it so that everybody had a, a what they looked like at the time. And then, um, it was really interesting to see how the designs uh, shifted too. Like, you know, there's there's a specific design sense that people in the '90s were employing that that people don't do now in the aughts and the '20s, and and um, the same with the '60s. So, like, I just really enjoyed putting some characters right next to one another. Like, I had I had Thundra right next to um, Hyperstorm, and then I had I had them next to I forget oh a new character named Space Boy. So like I had all three of those jammed together that I just felt like it was really fun to like put like, you know, different decades next to one another. You know, it was never, ever going to happen again that nobody ever watched. They'll use Hyperstorm all as the <laughs> next major villain. But like, you know, they aren't going to use them anytime soon. And I just thought it was just really fun to like put everybody sort of together. It took me about a month from the beginning to the end. Wow. Um, it took me about a, a you know, I was inking and penciling some stuff at the same time. So like, mm -hmm. if I was super happy with, you know, the way I drew Blastar, and I knew that nothing was going to be in front of him, um, then I would ink in that character. And it helps, it helps too, to be able to have like a <clears throat> the cover that's finished. When I was building in all the other characters, like I had the made, I had the placement where the major characters would be. I knew where I wanted Black Bolt. But I didn't really know exactly who was going to be 100% behind Black Bolt. I even shifted it a little bit in the middle. I wanted to have um, the Miracle Man, or not the Miracle Man, uh, Molecule Man. I wanted to have Molecule Man a little bit bigger than he was in the initial rough that I did. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I put him next to, um, I think, the Beyonder. <laughs> Just because I, I associate those two characters together. Oh, yeah. I, I, him. I, sure. I think yeah. I put him, the Adam Warlock character up front a little bit more so it is an absolutely like amazing cover i mean uh so it's coming out in two parts you said so right it comes out with fantastic four 700 which probably just came out a couple weeks ago and then fantastic four 701 is the the other part of the cover which uh, i think comes out this week so uh, i highly recommend uh everybody listening you got to check out this cover rush rush to your you rush your uh, local comic store and just, you know, demand it because uh, it, it's history making and, and it has to be a new record, right? It's it is. Yeah, I, I have to kind of clear it with the Guinness people, but I have to write them back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. It's so cool. Yeah, it's over. It's over 300. And I think the first cover is 347. The second one is 360 or 361 or something like that. So. It all averages out to more 362 or I forget what it is, but anyway, like, yeah, it's, it's over 313. So, and, um, together it's 711 or something like that. So it was a blast. I, I really have a lot of fun doing that. I really want to do the Spider-Man 1000. <laughs> all right, know, it took me a month. So, you know, but, um, that might take a little longer than a month, but you know. All right. So we do have a few questions for our patrons, uh, if you don't mind answering. 
All right. Well, Grant Baugh asks, what are some of the biggest misconceptions or misunderstandings people seem to have in regards to the art of inking? Oh, uh, inking. Um, well, uh, it depends on the inker, honestly. Like, uh, you are to, you're essentially the final editor on the book, like on the artwork, at least. So, like, um, you're the person that puts everything and then you're making the final line. So you're essentially deciding what's going to be seen in the end for better or for worse. So you really wanna try and put your best foot forward and um, do the best job that you can. Um, sometimes it's, you get a penciler that's really tight. Sometimes you get a pencil that's really loose. When I worked over John Buscema, he was really loose. Um, and you, you wanna just make sure that you put in um, the final line without like making the artwork worse. <laughs> there you go. Want to improve it if you can. <laughs> uh, all right, Mark Delmier. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Delmier asks: Does the person who does the pencils or breakdowns ever give direction to your inking, or do they let your style be as it is? And I ask because art can look very different from one inker to the next. It can. I think it's just that that most people have. Um, it's like personalities. Everybody has a different personality. So in inking, there are different personalities. Obviously, you get people who are really, really detail oriented and folks who just um, they're more emotion based, you know, like when you meet them, even in life, some people are much more emotional than others. And you get the same sort of thing from inking. Um, uh, it's a it's an art that's. Um, it's almost invisible, but it's not because like you say, there's a guy like for every Klaus Janssen, there's a guy that um, like a Jesse Delperdang who would like stay very, very closely to the pencils. Um, so you get a whole bunch of different people that do different things. Um, it's very much like uh, just different personalities. Well, Matthew Glover asks, technology has changed the way comic art is created with much of it now being digitally created. How has technology changed your approach? And are you worried about artificial intelligence technology's effect on comic art? Well, um, I am still a dinosaur as far as uh, using 18th century tools, you know, like ink pots and, um, and quills and, and brushes and things like that. So uh, most of the finished product for me is on paper. But the, the work that I do in order to try and get... Um, the the page to get to that place i do a lot of it on photoshop so i'll i'll do some sketches out off uh, just off the top of my head from something that like uh, is in the script i'll read the script and or i'll sit down and figure out what i'm going to draw and then like i'll do a little doodle and then i'll fiddle with it in photoshop just to get the right kind of like uh, design like I'll, I'll i'll sit there and i'll plot it out so that the you can tell what the story is going to be like uh, in total. And then I kind of go in and try and figure out like what things I want to like uh, accentuate in the drawing. Like I just did a page the other day where I'd had just a nine panel grid, but then I thought that that's too boring. So I, I just made a huge diagonal splotch and then combined some things in the background, you know, the design work I do in Photoshop a lot. So me that's what i use the computer uh tool as uh, as far as ai i don't think that uh, i mean i don't really have a lot of uh thoughts about it to be honest i 
I know that it's um, it's a tool that people are using, but I haven't run across it as a tool that I'm using yet. Um, it might be e easy to sort of sit back and, and figure that like, you could use it to do shortcuts uh, in your own personal work, um, but um, I don't know, I haven't used it. So um, uh, there's a lot of people that they, they, they run around like they're, the world's about to explode. Uh, anytime something new happens and it never it never becomes the thing that they really are fearing um, sometimes it's worse sometimes it's better but I just don't have enough uh, information as to what is happening out there now as to sort of sit back and say well this is how it's going to change things for me I have seen you know I have a friend that was uh, did a did a search on you know how folds are and clothing but it wasn't the best uh, response, you know, from the AI. So I don't know, you're better off taking a look at a photo or taking a picture yourself or sitting down and actually learning how the folds in a, in a cape or a, or a, um, a shirt or something like that work. Um, sometimes it's not that hard to like sit down and figure out what you're going to draw, um, what reference you need. So as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't really bother me yet. It might in five years, we might, you know, but I don't really need to see something going on that I can make any value judgment about right now. So I'm sure Skynet agrees with you. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. Last question from our patrons. Uh, Joshua Van Dyne asks, with Marvel not really using American Dream or any of the MC2 characters for a while, would you ever want to return to her at some capacity? And would you ever want to anchor stories again or, or pencil your, them again, given the opportunity? Oh, yeah, I would love to do those MC2 characters. Uh, I thought they were last. Um, you know, it's a never say never. You just never know where some character is going to pop up again that somebody's going to want you to draw. Like, uh, you know, I'd love another crack at Deadpool 2099 or any American Dream would be a lot of fun to draw. So, you know, all those MC2 characters I had a lot of fun with. Uh, the Thunderstrike and all those things that, you know, Marvel has such a tremendous backlog of characters that they kind of cycle through every once in a while. <clears throat> if you can keep your eye open, sometimes uh, they need to keep the copyright and trademark every 17 years. So uh, you will notice that on a, an anniversary of something happening 17 years ago, there will be a new trade paperback or something like that that pops up from it or a new mini series that has some of these characters like i know that some new universe characters came back briefly um you know the on the anniversary of the 17 year um cycle so you will you will spot things like that popping up again but um i i had a level i had a blast uh doing all those characters i really had a lot of fun so i would love to do them again yeah so we like to play a little game, uh, Scott. We've asked several of our guests this question and, you know, the whole multiverse thing has really taken off and a lot of folks are fascinated by that concept. So we'd like to know, like, if you had never gotten into the comics industry in perhaps in a different universe, what would you have become? Bob, you totally left out the what if question. You didn't oh, even yeah, the, mention it. All right. What if? What if? The what if. I love, I love what if. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, before I got into comics, I was doing, um, 
sales of video cassette tapes door to door. I was making a lot of money at it, like a thousand a week when I was like 21 or something. So I was really psyched about the money, but the, the, the job itself was killing me because the amount of rejection that you go through is just <laughs> off the charts. It's nobody's interested. Nobody's interested until suddenly they want to buy 15. It's a, it's a weird job. So, but I was doing that and I had met a guy named Bob Sharon, who is a colorist. Oh yeah. Um, we've, we've had Bob on the show. He's a great guy. Oh, fantastic. Well, you know, Bob, then, uh, Bob, Bob, uh, knew my uncle, my uncle's name was also Bob. So <clears throat> Bob knew Bob. And, um, at some point I had gotten in touch with Bob Sharon after college, uh, just after I graduated, I was trying to find some way in, um, so I went to go visit him. And while I was there, he showed me the work stuff that he was working on and, and uh, showed me some scripts and things like that. And then he said, uh, well, what's your what's your horoscope? And um, <clears throat> I said, well, I don't really know. I, you know, I gave him my birth date and the birthplace and the birth time. And um, <clears throat> I went back. I was just doing more video cassette tapes door to door. And I, I got a panic call on my answering machine, just a panicked call, like where he'd, he'd called up and he said, you are never going to be happy unless you're an artist. I've done your chart and you're going to be miserable in life if you're not an artist. So um, I took it at that. I, I, there's no other choice for me at this point. <laughs> I would have just been miserable. So <laughs> that's a that's great awesome. story. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. next time I see Bob a lot at the, he does a lot of the shows. I'll, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to ask him about that. And then maybe ask him to do my horoscope at that same time. He should. Yeah. Because the thing is, is, I didn't really, I didn't take it as anything. I was just like, okay. You know, like uh, when he, when he asked me for the information, but then, like I said, he called up in a panic, you know, like he was like, just, he's like desperate to get this information across to me that I had to be an artist and also that I should move to Los Angeles, which was the furthest thing in my mind. I eventually did Angeles. So, but yeah, him saying that I wouldn't be happy unless I was an artist was really, it was confirmation. Nice. And I, it was, it was something I wanted to do from when I was a kid, you know, from when I was seven. So I was talking with Howard Chaikin about it and I, there was just no other job. There was no other thing that was going to make either one of us happy. So, and you found it. That's awesome. And, and so yeah. what, what's keeping you busy nowadays? Are, are, do you have any upcoming projects you can share with the listeners? Yeah. So I have a trade coming out in uh, July of uh, a couple of one shots that we did over at image. Um, Jerry Duggan and Brian Vassain and I, uh, Brian's a comedian. Jerry's yeah. Talk a, about funny guys. Absolutely. Brian's fantastic. What a great, great person to great soul. And um, <clears throat> we did a, a series of one shots uh, with a character named uh, Scotch McTiernan. Um, the first of which was uh, the secret history of the war on weed. And um, uh, there were, we're binding those all up together in a trade that comes out July 25th. So I hope that some people pick that up. If they haven't seen the series already, it's a, uh, it's a, it's pretty much a, all the way from the guy's very young all the way till his death, essentially. So um, you can follow his story in a, in a nice trade. And then um, the the last issue of Kaju comes out on uh, June 
14th, I think. And uh, that one is a, a weird monster book. You, you'll probably enjoy that too. And then I'm working on a, 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 a new fantasy series of an ongoing that I'm hoping to get out from Image probably at the beginning of uh, 2020. Well, what year is it now? 2024, it'll be next. So yeah, hopefully in the beginning of 2024, we'll have an ongoing. I'm going to try to bank as many issues as I possibly can to get it so that um, we have a pretty smooth rollout. So that's what so, I'm working on. So tell us a, about, what was it, Kachu? Oh, Kachu. Yeah, Kachu is a, it's a, it's a, it's a Kaiju monster. Um, essentially like, uh, uh, it's like a, I don't really know how to describe the, the story. It's a, it's a very, um, it's for adults. It's, uh, it's just kind of, uh, Jerry pitched it to me where, where he was like, uh, you know, he, I guess he was looking at a Godzilla film and, and, you know, the Godzilla film was going for a while. And I think he had at some point and, uh, he was like, boy, you know, I've been watching Godzilla rampage across this screen for uh, like an hour and a half and he hasn't had to go pee once. So like he was trying to think of like what that would mean as a story. So it's a, it's a whole bunch of uh, pee and poop and sex jokes essentially, but, uh, or spread over about three issues, but uh, I had a gas doing it. it was, Who's publishing that? That's coming off through image. So okay. you can, you can pick it up. There's some, uh, should be some uh, issues floating around uh, your local comic book store. K-O-K-J-U with a little umlaut over it. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. That sounds Kachu, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great writers. Yeah. yeah that sounds like a fun book. Uh, excellent. And did you, what's your, well, that was it. Yeah. If, if, if listeners want to reach out to you uh, or do you do commissions at all? I do do commissions, uh, but based only really on what my schedule is right now, I'm a little tight, but uh you can get you can get in touch with me on Instagram. I'm Scott Koblish on Instagram and um, uh, Twitter. I'm still sort of there, um, but um, Instagram is the best place to sort of hit me up because uh, then you can send me like a request message. Do you know what I mean? I can I can field it no problem. So yeah, excellent. Well, listen, Scott, it was uh, it was so much fun wrapping cap with you. Thanks for taking us through uh, some, some the stories behind the stories uh, on some of the work you've done and, and uh, your, I, I, no pun intended, illustrious career, right? I mean, you've, you've uh, the thousands of, of pages that you've worked on uh, over the last 30 years has been amazing. So uh, we appreciate you taking some time to talk with us. Well, of course. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. All right, Bob. Well, that was a, a fun conversation with Scott. I'm, um, uh, yeah, I learned I learned some things. I, I always loved the stories behind the stories, but it was great having him on. And and I know he was kind of uh, joking about uh, about time someone had him on to talk about the Taco Bell special. Uh, but but there was a lot of things we wanted to talk about uh, in on that comic. So and and of course the rest of uh, his career too. So it was good good stuff. Yeah, I I mean you know we we joke about it. It's fun. But, you know, those those comics serve a really important purpose, as we talked about. And Agreed. it's got to be exciting about being able to reach out to new readers and get them excited about characters and the Marvel Universe. And, and so I think it's cool. I, I'm glad I, we got to learn a little bit more about how that sausage was made and how those things go down and, and his role in them. And uh, and I'm I'm really, you know, pleased as punch, obviously, to own a own a page out of that because are you hungry? Weird. 
Are you? Are what's going on here? You, you're talking about sausage. You're talking about rolls. You're talking about punch. Like what the hell? It's time are you... for my. It's time for my bedtime snack. Uh, apparently, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. As somebody who used to own a comic book store, I, you know, I made sure it was really important to appeal to the kids you know in, in in the store as well i mean most of my my most of my customers were in their 20s and and up right but there was a totally a section that i had devoted to all ages comics because i wanted to be a place where the kids could feel comfortable and go into and scott mentioned uh, marvel adventures and that was a line of all ages comics that um that was coming out at the time and i i applaud marvel for doing that because it was important you know they recognized as well that it was important to to grow the audience base you can't you know, you can't just only appeal to to guys our age because right. eventually yeah. we're we're gonna die off, right? Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. but yeah, it it was a good it was good to to talk about that. Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff I I didn't know before about you know inking and um, um. So I mean that was was interesting and it was really fascinating to hear about how um you know his life might have turned out miserably. Yeah, thanks to Bob Sharon. It didn't. So yeah. yeah. Uh, that's so funny. <laughs> next time I see Bob, I'm gonna have to that's ask great. him about that. Yeah. Um now, Bob, next episode, uh, we are going to go back to Castaway and Dimension Z. Now, this is something that we have been doing. Uh, it's an eight-part series. And we have been doing it the second Wednesday of every month. So if uh, come back next episode and we're going to be covering Castaway and Dimension Z part five. So that's Captain America volume seven, number five, which came out in 2013. So 10 years ago. And it's a very cool story by Rick Remender and John Remender Jr. And uh, introduces Cap's son, Ian, uh, and, uh, Ian Rogers as as Nomad. It's it's uh, it's a really fun story. I've been enjoying it. We're halfway through, so if you've been keeping up on that, definitely come back next episode for part five. Yeah, I'm looking forward to jumping back into that. Uh, you know, we we do this, you know, every month, and uh, just boy, you know, I, I look forward to it now because um, I'm really getting something new out of out of those issues every time we dive back in. Really, hundred percent. I I so appreciate this this story. Um, you know, here it is ten years later. I think I appreciate it now more than ever. They should do like you know you know how like they you know like uh, book clubs at church you know where like a bunch of folks sit around read a book together and discuss it. They should do this for comics. We should just like have like a school circle crisscross applesauce. Oh, absolutely! Sign me fun. up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I get, I get, you know, I get insights from you that I hadn't picked up before. I'm sure you don't from me, but it's probably no, entertaining. I'm a very and, smart guy. Yeah, well, that's what everyone tells me. Um, I haven't believed them, but, but yeah, I mean, it seems to. Well, maybe not, but anyway, I, I think that'd be a lot of fun, right, to have those sorts of sessions. But, All right, Val, uh, I'm going to do a dad joke now. Ready? All right, here we go. All right, right here we go. All right, I can't wait. I'm a smart fella. <laughs> You're a fart smeller. <laughs> my dad tells a story about one of my nephews who uh, was in Dunkin' Donuts with him and turned to him and rather loudly said, I'm a fart smeller. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad was like, what? 
<laughs> you're a fart smeller he didn't know what the hell the kid was talking he was like 12 or something at the time so <laughs> uh that's funny oh you teased something you teased something before uh we just started talking to scott what was that bob yeah i you had an idea uh i have for, lots of ideas Bob. Uh, yeah well i know but some are better than others but this was a really good one and this mm-hmm. was a with this was a top 10 list show and and we love doing those and people oh, really yeah. seem to uh to really really get into those and, and like mm-hmm. to participate in seeding those top 10 lists so what's the idea rick i was thinking top 10 one and done villains nice so these are villains that appeared in captain america stories one time yeah that doesn't mean one issue it could have been a four issue you know story but uh but they only appeared in one story never heard from again yeah there's plenty of them over the course of the of the decades of captain america comics but we're gonna we're gonna put together the top 10 i think it's gonna be harder uh, to build than many people think. Well, we need help. We need help yeah. from our listeners. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put, um, uh, well, I'll, we'll put a post in the Facebook group mm-hmm. of who are some of your top favorite one and done villains and, uh, and, and list them. And then, you know, we'll take those into consideration uh, and uh, we'll put together our own top 10 list. Repeat those rules again, because it's only, you can only appear in one story arc. One Captain yeah. America story arc. So you got to yes. do your research, folks, because if they pop up someplace else, they're off the, off the list. You know, there's a really cool website that is uh, is is worth going to, and it's um, it is the complete... Marvel reading order C M R O. So if you go to C M R O, which is stands for the complete Marvel reading order dot Travis T R A V I S dash Starnes S T A R N E S dot com. Go to that website. It's a really cool site. I've used this uh, for a lot of research for for our our podcasts and and stuff on the Facebook page. Um, and then there is a there's a place where you can go to. Um, it's a character list, and it has every single Marvel character, and they have them in uh, as far as major characters in alphabetical order, minor characters. They have obscure characters first appearance characters all in alphabetical alphabetical order and then if you click on click on them um like for instance i'm on here major characters uh second one alphabetical order is adam warlock right i click on adam warlock and it has the complete reading order so it starts with september of 1967 fantastic 466 and then it goes on and on and on and on um, so you have the complete, if you are interested in a character, you can just, and you want to see every comic story that they've ever been in, you can just go in here and it tells you the, the complete reading order. It's actually really cool. Yep. I'm just telling people right now, don't be putting Doughboy on the list. I know you want to, but don't. <laughs> 
This is my shaking my head face. People love the character. What can I say, Rip? And when you say people, you mean you. He's a fan favorite. That's what when I'm you saying. say fan, you mean a fan. <laughs> right? Uh, I love the pudgy guy. Oh, you know. All right. Well, that, that's cool. We uh, So we're looking forward to that in the Facebook group. Um, let us know who who you think should make the top 10 Captain America one and done villains. That'd be a lot of fun. That will be fun. Yeah. I'm, I bet we get some crazy ones we forgot. Totally. All right, Bob, as always, it has been fun wrapping cap with you. It has. I can't wait till next week. All right. He's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Verbonis, and you have been listening to another episode of the Captain America comic book fans podcast. Thank you.